You're listening to the Gesher Podcast, the place where the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities come together to talk about the things that matter. I'm your host, Ty Perry, ministry representative for the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry here in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for joining me. My guest today has been called one of the great American Bible expositors of our day. Tommy Nelson is senior pastor of Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas, where he has served since 1977. Pastor Nelson holds degrees from the University of North Texas, where he quarterbacked, and from Dallas Theological Seminary. Pastor Nelson, thanks for joining me today, and welcome to Gesher. I am delighted to be here. I'd like to find out who called me one of the great expositors of our day. I'd like to send him some money, but thanks for the compliment. <laughs> well, we'll just assume it was me and and go from there. Well, uh, Pastor, we're going to discuss today what theologians call the, the 70 weeks of Daniel or the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And uh, I was struck by this passage a few years ago. I was listening to one of your sermons, actually, on this passage. And, uh, and in it, you call Daniel 9, uh, verses 24 through 27, the four most amazing, profound verses in the Bible. Why do you say that? What, what, what's so amazing about these verses? Because they speak from um, about uh, 500 years before Christ. And they speak with almost like they're looking at yesterday's news at uh, what is called the times of the Gentiles. They speak of Babylon, of Persia, of Greece, of Alexander the Great, of Rome, of a coming, a regathering of Rome, of Israel returning to the land, Messiah coming, being rejected, uh, Israel uh, booted out of the land, a final program for God to the future. So, Ty, it looks to Daniel's present, Daniel's immediate future, the distant future, the Gentile world, the Jewish world, and it'll do it in a few sentences. It, it is a, John Walvard that was my president at Dallas Seminary. He called it the key of biblical prophecy. And you know, Daniel 24, 9, 24 through 27, Revelation is basically a replay of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Um, the prophets previous are anticipations of Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And when I heard it the first time at Dallas Seminary, about 1978, I, I just sat there and looked at my Bible. I just stared at it while everybody else left class. And I thought, this is the word of God. Nobody could say this, but a man speaking in time travel, looking at the future as though it was present. And, uh, oh, I had a young group of men that I discipled back um, in the in the 90s, and one of them is now a pastor out in Fresno, uh, Brad Bell, and I taught him Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And he went outside, and he prayed, and he said, God, if when I ask you to be my Savior, I wasn't talking to the God of Daniel 9, I am now. If you weren't the God I was addressing, I know who you are now. And so Daniel 9 makes you stare at it and walk away incredulous that God could say something like this. Well, you know, culturally, uh, and it's becoming less and less so um, as we become less biblically illiterate, but culturally we we know Daniel, the character, uh, mostly from Daniel in the lion's den. But there's a lot more to Daniel. Um, can you tell us a little bit, give us some context of 
who is Daniel, what's he doing in Babylon, and, and what is his overall book all about? Uh, he apparently is Judean, um, and in his day, he apparently is from the nobility of Israel, possibly even from the, uh, from the uh, Davidic line. And uh, he was uh, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. He was in the exile. He was brought over to um, Babylon, and they, the Babylonians would not kill their enemies merely. They would call out the best of all of their captives and turn them into Babylonians. And so he was seen as the most noble of youths, and he and a bunch of others, as in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they were put into the king's service. They had pressure on them. They were taught Chaldean. They were taught the Chaldean um, uh, theological system. They were taught the Babylonian uh, worldview. They were taught the Babylonian uh, literature. They changed their names from Daniel. May God protect, I'm sorry, Daniel, God is my judge, to Belshazzar. May Baal protect his life. Basically, Ty, they tried to squeeze these guys into being Babylonians. And Daniel was the classic Jew uh, from that period on when Israel has been out of the land of how to remain Jewish, lay your life on the line to be Jewish or biblical, um, influence all of everybody around you to want to be like you, to where the pagan not only uh, respects you, but elevates you into a great position because you're so successful. God giving him divine knowledge and and as a result of his integrity, of his knowledge, he is exalted during the Babylonian rule, during the uh, Persian rule. Um, he is the fellow that is an exilic prophet, he and uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel writes mostly about what will happen to Israel. Daniel writes about Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Alexander, the Maccabean revolt. He writes about the Gentile world that swirls around Israel. And so he uh, is kind of the uh, classic Jew that when you are alone in a pagan culture, how do you live? He, whenever Israel will be come back to the land and they'll be surrounded by pagans, no longer Israel will be in their land, but it will not be them in sovereign control. He is the picture of what the synagogue would be of how a person in the synagogue will maintain his Jewishness, be faithful, and to be a light to the Gentiles whenever Israel uh, rejects the Savior and the church age begins. Uh, the church that is merely a, a continuity of the synagogue gets its uh, major heading from Daniel. And so a Jew, a Jew in exile, and a churchman today, their letter sweater would be Daniel. If you can live Daniel, which means may God, uh, God is my judge, that I don't care what Nebuchadnezzar does, what Belshazzar does, I don't care what anybody does. God is my sovereign, and I will pray to him, and I will not worship any place but him. I will be faithful to him, and I will surround myself with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and together we will impact our culture. You can't do better than Daniel as a Jew or a Gentile. This is the classic man of God. And as you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, okay, you're talking about Babylon, but it sounds like there's some parallels between our own culture. And uh, you never feel today like you're being pressed into a mold to become like your culture. Daily. Daniel is your book. 
because Daniel will take their language, he'll take their name they give him, he'll take their literature, he'll go along with it. But when they say you've got to eat food that was sacrificed to a, an idol, he'll say, no, I draw the line. That I cannot do. He set his heart, he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. I don't care if everybody else is doing it, Daniel says, I'm not going to do that. Well, the guy says, hey, you're going to get my head cut off if you don't. Daniel says, look, give me 10 days. Let me eat something other than food sacrificed to idols. Let me just be a veggie. I'll go vegan with you. And then you check me in 10 days. And he says, Ty, judge me by what you see. I'm not asking you to believe Leviticus. You just look and do what you see. It says Daniel's appearance seemed better. And he said, yeah, we'll, we'll let you do whatever you want. And so, and then when the time came when push came to shove and they said, you can't pray anymore. It says, Daniel continued just as he did three times a day facing Jerusalem. I may live here, but my heart is the heart of a Jew. And no, I will pray. Then you will die. He said, then I will die. Then we will cast you into the lion's den. Then you will have to cast me in the lion's den. Daniel knows where to draw the line. When I sent my grandson off to college and talked to my six grandkids, I say, let me turn you to Daniel 1. Now, this is the way you live at the University of Texas, at Miami, at Michigan. This is the way that a Christian lives, a Jew lives in a world that hates him. And when it's all said and done, Ty, when we get to heaven, we're going to run into uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to have Daniel to think. That's right. And a whole bunch of other people. So Daniel, Daniel, Joseph, Moses are your classic men surrounded by the world that not only hold their own, but impact all the world around them. Well, Pastor, when we come to Daniel 9, I'll just set the stage a little bit for the for the verses that you're going to cover. Um, Daniel is reading his Bible. We know he had probably three quiet times a day. Yes. And uh, he's reading, evidently, in Jeremiah. And he comes yep. to Jeremiah 25, 11, and he sees that the, the captivity of Israel is going to be 70 years. He starts doing his math and says, hey, that's coming up. Yep. And so he offers up this magnificent prayer. It's not only a beautiful prayer, it's, it's a prayer of confession on behalf of the entire nation and of himself. But before he can even finish, the angel Gabriel gets there, and he gives this prophecy of, of 70 weeks to Daniel. So um, I'm going to just read these four verses and then I'm going to pitch it to you and ask you to take us through them. So uh, this is what the Word of God says. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with, with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even till a complete desolation. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. 
Well, Pastor Tommy, what's this mean? Now, do we have, what, 12 hours? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a long-form podcast. Well, I would do first, what I would do is Daniel chapter 9 is in the sequence of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 7, and chapter 8. So let me take just a minute. Uh, what Daniel in chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in a vision, a dream that distressed him. He saw the dream of a great statue of a man, and the man's statue of the man had different uh, levels of precious metal going from the top down that represented the coming nations that would dominate Israel. Uh, Jesus coined a term, Ty, in Luke 21. He said Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jesus invented that term. And that is a period from the Babylonian rule, through the Persian rule, through the Greek rule, through the Roman rule, whenever Israel would not be a sovereign state, but they would be dominated by the Gentiles. And so uh, he saw this Babylon, then he saw the chest and arms, Medo-Persia, and then he saw the belly of brass, uh, Greece, and then he saw two legs of iron that would be Rome, of course, that had a Western capital, Rome, and an Eastern capital, Constantinople today, Byzantium, Istanbul. And then he saw feet with 10 toes, partly of iron and partly of clay. And out of this, this kingdom of Rome, there would come 10 toes. There would be 10 nations that it said it combined the seed of men. It would be a confederation of nations like the European Common Union or, some, or, or something like that, the ECU. It would be a, a League of Nations. It would be a United Nations. They, they would come together. And it says in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom. And it shows in the dream coming out of a mountain, a great stone cut without hands, often in the Bible. God is referred to as the rock. Uh, Messiah is called the stone. And he smashes this statue of man's dominion. And it becomes dust for the wind. And then that little stone, Messiah, grows to fill the whole earth and the kingdom of God. And so you see in that sweep that is given to this pagan king, and it alarms him, that God was, and he interpreted it, and he said, you're going to rule as the head of gold, Babylon. And then a divided kingdom, the Medo-Persians, are going to come and take you over. And then uh, there's going to come a nation that's going to be Greece, and it's going to take them over. And that happened under Alexander the Great. And then an iron nation that will be the most terrible, and that's going to be Rome. They're going to crush everybody. And then it said that out of Rome, out of iron, it's going to be iron and clay. We're going to have a combined union of men that are going to try to rule. We would call it globalism. And in the days of those kings, the Messiah of God is going to come and crush it. And so he gives you a sweep from five-something 100 BC, all the way through the Roman Empire, and then tie beyond that, because we've never seen a world empire of 10 kings come along yet, where there's been a break between Rome and this final kingdom that the Bible doesn't refer to at that time. It just calls it the mystery. Okay. And then we go to chapter 7, and Daniel has a vision, and it's the same one as Nebuchadnezzar, but he doesn't see the nations as a great statue. He sees them as animals, as beasts. A beast has power and ferocity with no conscience. And so he sees Babylon. It's a, a picture of a lion. And then he sees Medo-Persia. It's a bear that is raised up on one side as Persia would gain dominance over Media. 
And then we see a leopard with four, uh, four wings, and that is going to be Greece. And when Alexander died, they gave his kingdom to four different um, generals that ruled the world under Daniel. I'm sorry, under uh, Alexander the Great. And then here comes the last iron beast, and he crushes everything. And so you see that that chapter 7 is perfectly parallel to chapter 2. By the mouth of two witnesses is a fact confirmed. And so we know in Daniel's day, there's going to be a Babylon, a divided kingdom, Medo-Persia. There's going to be Greece. We're going to have four guys take over. Then there's going to come the Romans and crush us. So what about those 10 kings that arise? Well, out of the horn, there's horns that come out of this last beast, and there's 10 of them. So here comes a 10-nation power. And then it says something that wasn't said before, one little horn, not a nation, but a singular man, a Hitler type, a Stalin type, a Castro type, raises up, and he defeats three of those kings, and they all give him power. And thus, we have one man ruling the world. And that is not simply historical. That is future. That is prophetic. It hasn't happened yet. And he is going to take the place of Christ. We would call him the Antichrist. And he rules until, until all of a sudden, here comes the stone without hands. It says the God of heaven shows up. He takes this final, this last ruler and casts him into the lake of fire. And then he gives his kingdom to one coming from heaven as a man, the very son of man. And God the Father gives the kingdom to Jesus Christ to rule. And so what we saw there, Ty, in chapter 2 and in chapter um, 7 is the identical same vision. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, a reinvigorated, resurrected Rome of ten kingdoms ruling the world. One man takes over, and then Messiah comes to rule. So we see the last seven rules of planet Earth. And we see it in sentences. It's done. Well, with that in mind, we come to Daniel chapter 9. And you can imagine Daniel has some questions. Sure. He prays and he reads like you read there in uh, Jeremiah 7, uh, 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 what word was it? 25, that this rule of Babylon is only going to be 70 years. And he says, God, it's about time. And so he prays. Gabriel shows up. He said, as soon as you started praying, I was sent. And he's going to answer Daniel's inquiry, but he's going to answer it in a bigger sense than Daniel ever asked. He says, number one, there are going to be 70 years and you're about to go home, Daniel. But it's bigger than that. He said 70 weeks, 70 units of seven. It's not just 70 years, but in 70 weeks of years. Now, I was a phys ed major, but 70 times seven is 490. And so in 70 weeks of years, he says, they have been decreed for your people, the Jew, and your holy city too. And he tells about six things. You're going to finish the transgression. There will be no more rebellion of Israel against God. There will be an end of sin. God is going to punish sin and remove it. There is going to be a atonement for iniquity. Someone is going to die for what the nation did. Now, those were primarily fulfilled under Christ's first coming. He died upon the cross, and he allowed man to become a new creation and to start over. 
But then he says this in the last three statements. He says, he will bring in everlasting righteousness. We're going to have, like Jeremiah says, you will not teach every man his Jewish brother saying, know the Lord. You'll all know me from the least to the greatest. That the world will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. They will study war no more. And peace will reign from sea to shining sea. We will have the kingdom of God. Now that hadn't happened yet. That's going to happen upon his return. And then he says this, he will seal up vision and prophecy. Jesus on the Emmaus road tie, it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he spoke to them the things concerning him and all of the scriptures. He said, if you believe Moses, you believe me. Moses wrote of me. I did not come to annul the law, but to fulfill it. Not a jot and tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. And so Paul said the... Uh, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. No, that's what the angel said that. Paul said that um, in him, the promises of God are yes. He is the word of God. And so we're going to have all righteous, uh, bring everlasting righteousness. We're going to seal up all vision and we will anoint the most holy place. Messiah is going to be in the holy place, a temple, and he will rule his nation. Now, Daniel would have known all of these. He would have been familiar with the shadows of, of Messiah coming, giving rebirth to the nation, uh, fulfilling prophecy and elevating that nation to be ruled over by their final king and priest, the Messiah. And so he just told it in 490 years, Daniel, the kingdom is coming. And you can imagine the glee. So it's not just going to be 70 years that you're going to return and build a temple. That's true. That happened under Zerubbabel and then Ezra and Nehemiah. But it's going to be bigger than you think. In 70 weeks of years, we're not just going to have a temple on the return. We're going to have the kingdom of God. Now, the question that's in Daniel's mind is, when does that period start? When does the clock start? And in 490 years, he's coming. Well, the angel says in verse 25, Gabriel says, you're to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Ty, every Jew uh, today, I think, if they have studied their Judaism, knows when that was. It was, some say it's March 4th, some say March 5th, some say 444, some say 445 that uh, Artaxerxes Longinus in the book of Nehemiah made a decree that all of you guys can go back if you want, and you can not only rebuild the temple, because uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest had done that already about 60 years earlier. Not only will Ezra go back and rebuild the people, because he did that, but he says, I'm going to let you go back and you're going to rebuild that city with a wall around it and a plaza and a moat. And, you know, often in the Bible, God will speak of Cyrus of Persia as being his servant that will do what he wants him to do. And so he says, that's when the clock starts from that decree, March the 4th, 445 BC. When that happens until Messiah, the prince, and you can see Daniel leaning forward from that until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be seven weeks 
because it took about 49 years to rebuild all of Jerusalem. It took only 52 days to get the wall up. But to get that city up again, it will take 50 years, 49 or, or seven weeks of years, that there will be seven weeks of years that will rebuild the city. And then 62 more weeks, 62 plus seven is 69. And so in 69 weeks of years, Messiah is coming. Now, again, I was a phys ed major, biology minor, but in my mathematical mind, I go 49, I'm sorry, uh, 69, 69 weeks of years times seven is 483. And so in 483 years, 69 weeks of years, Messiah the Prince is coming. Now we can just sit right here, Ty, and figure it out roughly. If the decree is made in 445 BC, and in 483 years, or 69 weeks of years, Messiah will come. From 445 to the year zero, there's 445 years. If we subtract 445 from 483, we're going to have AD something as to when Messiah will come. And you can work it out in your giant brain and go, that's 38 BC, AD, 38 AD. When you take into the fact that Jewish year is 360 days and leap years and the like, Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And he felt that in exactly 483 Jewish years, or Jewish days, and those years, that it comes out to the um, day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem uh, at Passover back in, in what we call 33 AD that he wrote in there. And so he hits it right on the nose. He says, Daniel, there's going to be a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we're going to get it done in 52 or in, in 49 years. And then uh, in 483 years, Messiah is coming. So he's saying, are we going to rebuild the temple? God says, yes, you're going to rebuild the temple and the city. But something you don't know, Messiah's coming. And he's coming in 69 weeks of years. And just to remind listeners, this is a, this is a prophecy not made just a few years before the birth of Christ right. or, or, or post-Christ, and then we came back and edited this. This is, this is Tanakh. This is Jewish Bible here. Yes, and this when he's saying these things and interpreting them, you're having to take by faith that there is going to be a Persian empire. You're going to take by faith there's going to be a Greek empire. The Greeks were still little, you know, guys running around on the island at the time. And as far as Rome, they were a bunch of Etruscan farmers. And so God sees the end from the beginning. Okay, so Daniel's taking notes on what he doesn't have terms for. And so God has told him, this is going to happen. You're going to go back. You're going to rebuild the temple. You're going to rebuild the city. And in 69 weeks of years, Messiah is coming. Get ready. Now, verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, in other words, it took seven weeks of years, 49 years to rebuild the city. 
62 weeks of years later, that's 434 years, added to, uh, to uh, 49, and you get 483 years. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah, here he comes, Ty, he will be cut off. And Daniel stops his notes, and he looks at Gabriel and says, what did you say? Messiah will be cut off. What do you mean cut off? He will be cut off and have nothing. What? He's going to get killed. They're going to strip him. His friends are going to run. The nation's going to reject him. His treasure is going to betray him. His own brothers won't believe. There'll be nobody there for him except his mama, an aunt, a lady that happened to love him, a woman that had demons, and a thief on a cross, and a centurion that happened to get converted. That's it. You're kidding. See, the Old Testament teaches there's two mountains, one with a cross on it and one with a crown on it. And it looks like the two mountains are side by side. But when you drive up on them, you ever been in Colorado? And it looks like the mountains are side by side. Turns out they're a great distance from each other. And once you get to the cross, you see there's a valley in between you couldn't see. And that's Ty Perry and Tom Nelson and John uh, George Whitfield. It's called the church age that you can't see. It's called a mystery. And then he returns in a crown. So it looks like you've got two men, but they're in. It's two comings of the same man, the cross and the crown of Messiah. Now, that's okay for you and I looking backward. If you're Daniel, you're scratching. Because the Old Testament talked about Messiah dying and Messiah ruling. Now, you know as well as I do, Ty, we're always kind of delicatessen-oriented in what we choose to believe. There are certain areas we like. We like the rule of Christ. Suffering, we're not real sure about that. So Israel loved that idea of him reigning. Him dying, they kind of shuffled that off to the side. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't, but they did. And so this, this angel knows his theology. He's coming, and he's going to die. And then it says this. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. Wait a minute, Daniel says, excuse me, it's going to what? They're going to destroy the city. We already got destroyed once by the Babylonians. Yes, you did. You're about to get destroyed again. Why? Because you killed your Messiah. You thought he was a false prophet. You put him to death. You put to death the wrong guy. And so the people of the prince who is to come are going to destroy, it says, Ty, the city and the sanctuary. And I'm sure Daniel would have said, the sanctuary, we're going to rebuild it. Yes, you are. And the city's going to be rebuilt. Yes, it is in 49 years. And then when Messiah comes, we're going to kill him and we're going to get judged. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. You're in, you're, that's incredible. Yes, it is. But it's going to happen. And then he said, well, is God is finished with us? No, he is not. He says, its end will come with a flood. Ty, have you ever been in a flood? I haven't. I have not, but I know this. When a flood comes, nothing's there when it's over. It's all gone. It's the hand of God that sweeps it. What happened after Christ got rejected? You remember Christ said, uh, God, there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. He said to the daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. 
the times are coming, they're going to lay siege to this place. And sure enough, in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman Legion came through and they wiped it from the face of the earth. They exiled the Jews. And until 1948 of the 20th century, there were more Jews in Krakow, in Berlin, in Miami, in the Bronx than there were in Jerusalem. God said it right here. Its end will come with the flood, and then listen to this guy, and even until the end, there will be war and desolations. The Old Testament says that if Israel acted in complete disobedience to God, they would A, get cast out of the land. And then God said, the sword will follow you on a dark and gloomy day. I'm not going to let you go out of the land and go elsewhere and build great civilizations because the Jew has an enormous ability to land on his feet. Uh, they used to say about why there were no, not as many great Jewish pianists as Jewish violinists. And one Jew said, because you can't pack a piano. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're always, they, they've been moved all around and a sword has followed them. God is not going to let them set up shop and buy their enormous acumen. Because you notice, whenever you look at Ivy League professors, institutions, yada, 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 this tiny slice of the demographic of society has done voluminous things with Nobel and Pulitzer Prize and, and all this. They are the most extraordinary people. You can try to kill them in Egypt. You can try to kill them in Babylon. You can try the, to kill them under the... Maccabee under the, uh, the Greeks and the Maccabean revolt. You can try to crush them under the Romans. You can try to crush them through getting kicked out of Spain, getting kicked out of England, the Ku Klux Klan, Hitler, Stalin. You've seen Fiddler on the Roof, the pogroms there, and you can't kill them. And wherever they land, you give them enough time and you're going to work for them. They have an amazing, matter of fact, Frederick the Great once said to his uh, chaplain, he said, convince me of the uh, inerrancy of the Bible. He said, one word, sire, Israel. We cannot understand Israel. Even, I think, Hegel in his historical dialectic said Israel was the enigma. They didn't behave. They stay on a rock, and you can't move them. And so he says, desolations are determined. So I'm not going to let you move in to Brooklyn, to wherever, and become an ideal society, because they're the one society that has the basis of all truth. They have a book from God that says, in the beginning, God created heavens, earth, time, space, mass, prime mover, existence. You can take Genesis 1-1 and build a civilization. And that's why the Jew will beat you at every point, because they understand nature, the body, marriage, morality. They, that's why there weren't that many great Jewish philosophers, although there were some, because Jews didn't begin with questions. They began with answers. Like, there we are. That's why we're here. Why do I need a philosopher? So they were set. And so God says, you're never going to be set up. One time... Am I running out of time, Ty? No, you're good. Okay. You're good. One time I was at a gas station and a Jewish guy came out to me and we got to talking. His name was Larry. He loved to talk about religion. And I asked him a question. I said, Larry, what are you doing here in Texas? 
He said, well, I wanted to come as a music major. No, I don't mean that. What are you doing in America? Well, we came from New Jersey. No, no. America is not the land given to you. You are the one nation on the face of the earth that is given borders and a land that no one can take from you. You are a Jew. You are the son of Abraham. God gave you the promised land. What are you doing in Texas? He said, well, I'm not sure. I said, it all started about 70 AD. Y'all did something you shouldn't have done in 70 AD. And I said to him, if Jesus Christ was not the son of God, Israel did a righteous act in getting rid of a false prophet. If he was, you got yourself in trouble. And so if Christ is not the son of God, somebody better tell God because he brought the law down on you. And so the angel is saying the law is going to come down. But I want you to notice something here. It says the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. Not the prince who is to come. And in the context of Daniel 2, 7, and 8, that's talking about Antichrist, called the little horn. It doesn't say he will destroy the city, but the people of the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist takes over a revived Roman Empire of ten nations. He rules it, and so he is the resurrection of Rome once again. Uh, I don't think he is Roman Catholicism. I think he is simply, since Rome, we have never seen a world empire. We're going to see one again someday in an anti-Christ. And so the people of the prince who is to come, who are the people of the prince who is to come? Rome. And so the angel says, Rome will destroy the city before the Romans were even built up as a nation. And so after 69 weeks of years, we see that there's going to be a return, a temple, a city, Messiah killed, and judgment. But it says there's in 70 weeks of years, the kingdom will come. In 69 weeks of years, Messiah came and was killed. So you see, Ty, we're missing something. What are we missing? We're missing one week. We have 69 weeks of years, and then the clock stops with the death of Christ. What has God been doing for the last 20 centuries? Because we're waiting for that last seven years. I'm sorry, Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Is there a book in the Bible that focuses on a seven-year period? Yes, it is. It's the last book. It's called Revelation. The year period is called the Tribulation, three and a half years, and then three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And in Revelation 6 through 19, when that tribulation occurs, guess what word is not mentioned? Church. The church isn't here. Guess what nation is in dominance? Israel. That there is a restored Israel, and it's not an Israel that is mostly in defiance. There's 144,000 Jews that are enlightened. The Bible says when a man turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. All of a sudden, he can see his Bible. They begin becoming what they're meant to be by God, a kingdom of priests. They preach to all the world. Huge numbers come to faith. Antichrist seeks to put them to death for hate speech, speaking against him. 
And uh, at the end of that period, Christ returns. And so the 70th week of Daniel, there's a whole book of the Bible focused on it called the book of Revelation. And lo and behold, there it is. Well, it says in verse 27, he, context verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. And he, who's the he? It's the prince who is to come. So this last seven years is going to begin with the revealing of Antichrist. The Apostle Paul talked about the coming of Christ, and he said it will not come unless the restrainer is moved first. That's the church that restrains evil by the Holy Spirit, just like Lot that is in Sodom and has to be removed for judgment to it. God will remove his church, and then he will bring up the Antichrist, and now he will be revealed. And so when Antichrist comes, he will make a firm covenant with the many, the Jews, for how long does it say there, Ty? For one week. One, there's your 70th week of Daniel. Now, between verse 26 and 27, the clock stopped. Seven years short of the end of time. And God now took the Jewish Savior and went out to the Ty Perrys, an Englishman and an Irishman, a Nelson, an Englishman and an Irishman, guys in Africa, black men, um, Asians, um, Native Americans, Indians, and he, he simply called them the called out people, the ekaleo, the iglesia, the church. And they now do in spirit what Israel was meant to do. Paul said that salvation has come to us to make them jealous, that the Jew looks at us and says, Perry and Nelson, why are y'all so happy? I'm forgiven of my sins. Well, that was promised us. Well, thank you kindly. Y'all didn't want it. Well, I have Messiah that died for me. He was supposed to come for us. Well, y'all didn't want him. So God gave him to me the uh, book of Moses. God says in the song of Moses, you made me jealous by what is not a God. I will make you jealous by what is not a people. And by a foolish nation will I anger you. Ty, you and I are the foolish nation. And God says to all the world, look at this. Here's an Englishman, Harry, that is just now in the alcohol recovery. Here is Nelson over here. We're going to get him out of the whatever he's in. We're going to get all of these guys that come not from the womb of Sarah. They come from the Tower of Babel. And I'm going to build them into spiritually. They're not going to take the place of Israel, but they're going to be grafted into the rich root of Israel, into Messiah. God said to Abraham, in your seed will the nations be blessed. The seed of Messiah lives in you, lives in me, all the way back to Cornelius the centurion, to the Roman guy that looked up and said he is innocent. God has taken the Messiah and given him. Just like Israel and their rejection of God, they got kicked out of the land, and a woman named Ruth, a Moabite, got grafted into Judea through a man named Boaz and gave birth ultimately to King David. And so God, it's all through the Bible. So he, Antichrist, is going to make a firm covenant with the many. Now, Ty, it says in verse 26 that there will be war, desolations, and a flood of Israel. Destroy the city. Verse 27, he'll make a firm covenant with the many. So are you telling me, Ty, that before the end days, that there will be a nation of Israel once again for a man to make a covenant with? 
Yes. Daniel, at this point, must have taken off his glasses, said, we got destroyed once. Right. We're going to get destroyed again. Right. But then we're going to get restored again before the end. How is Antichrist going to make a covenant with the many for a seven-year period? We're going to bring them back. Now, Ty, if you and I had preached this 300 years ago, people thought we were nuts because there was no Israel. Until 1948, you have no Israel. Now, when you look on the front page, they're everywhere. God did what God implied. I'm going to bring Israel back. The reason? Because he made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give you a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land to put them in, and I'm going to be a blessing to the entire world through you. God made an oath. I'm giving you the land. So they did it. They came back, and now he'll make a firm covenant with the many. Ty, Israel is never to make a covenant with the Gentile, or rather, an atheist, and they did it. They're going to make a covenant for one week. Why? In the middle of the week, he, Antichrist, will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Ty, what does a Jew have to have to have sacrifice and grain offering? You have to have a temple. You have to have a temple. So you're telling me, Ty, that not only is Israel going to get restored, but they're going to build another temple. That's what it says. Today, we've got the Temple Mount. We've got Jews, but we don't have a temple. Uh, Sharon just approached the Temple Mount years ago, and we had a riot, if you remember. No Jews get on that thing. How is Israel going to rebuild a temple? They will make a covenant with a man who is going to take over a 10-nation power and will be anti-Christ. I had a Jew say to me when I was in Jerusalem one time, why doesn't America just assert itself and dominion in the land and tell Israel and the Arabs what's going to happen? Israel would love to have somebody just assert its power and put them in a place of peace. This guy will do it. He will say to Israel, you can rebuild your temple, and I'm going to say everybody out of the pool. Nobody will touch this nation. Now, Ty, how do you think Israel will see this man that allows them to rebuild their temple and makes a seven-year agreement that they can do so? He looks a lot like the Messiah. Oh, this is Messiah. No, he's not. He's in the place of Messiah. He's anti-Christ. But 144,000 from Israel, if you read Revelation, are going to say, oh, no, do not covenant with this man. Our Messiah has already come. Well, in the middle of the week, that's at three and a half years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. I, if you make a covenant to allow people to begin their worship again, and according to the Jew, they as a nation are still not a nation until that temple is in place. That is the, that's the nation. This guy is going to let him do it. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to it. What is that called when you make a covenant for seven years and three and a half years, you stop it? What kind of word is that? He's a liar. He lies. That's what Satan does. I'm going to let you people rebuild your temple. Thank you. Three and a half years. Deal's over. You're now going to have to worship me. And it says Antichrist will take his seat in the temple of God. The abomination of desolation. 
and he will get rid of every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. And here is Satan's dream. A man representing Satan that calls the world to worship him. Isaiah 14, I will be like the most high. This is Satan's favorite verse. He achieves his Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Satan, Antichrist, and the false bride, the satanic trinity. Well, in verse 27, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and here's what he's going to do then. On the wing of an abominations will come one who makes desolate. He is going to begin abominations, and he is going to begin desolations. He is going to start killing everybody in the world that will not honor him, and he will go to war. And it states, Ty, that in uh, the book of Isaiah, that man will be as scarce as the gold of Ophir. It says, that calls the world the city of chaos, and you'll have to hunt for men. When Messiah returns, there may not be 10,000 people on planet Earth. It is the, the, it is the living dead that he brings about death. Jesus said, like we have never seen since the beginning of creation. Well, when you look in the book of Revelation, you're constantly doing this at what is going to happen. And those seals, those, those trumpets, and those bowls of judgment. The last judgment, it says, the mountains will disappear. All the islands will disappear. You can imagine when God pulls the earth out flat and the tsunamis that begin. And then if anybody's still left, there's 100-pound hailstones that come down. And so we may not have 10,000 people on. It's like the ark. The earth is gone. Here is uh, a few people that are still remaining. And then Noah's going to come out of the ark and Christ will return. And here in verse 27, he will make desolate even until. So Daniel's head is swimming. So we've been destroyed under Babylon. We're going to have Messiah come and reject him and get destroyed again. Yeah. And then we're going to make a covenant with a Gentile and become a nation again and get destroyed again. Three times. Yes, you are. But this time he'll make desolate even a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Antichrist makes desolate, and then it says there's a complete destruction that is poured out on that one who makes desolate. Remember, Ty, in, the, in chapter 2, you saw a stone come without hands and crush Babylon, the great image of man. You saw in chapter 7, God the Father give the kingdom to Messiah. He takes the false, he takes the beast and cast him in the lake of fire. Here. One is going to come back. I know he is because I read ahead. And in Revelation 19, the sky rolls back like a scroll. The Messiah descends with the spirits of just men made complete Old Testament saints. Their bodies are raised when Christ returns. The raptured church that in chapter four, Revelation, Christ says, come up here. They're up with him. And now with his bride, he returns tribulation saints that have died, their bodies are raised. And so we have Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, the church, tribulation saints that have believed and died and been raised. They're going to come with Christ and the kingdom of God is going to begin. 
He will then take the world that exists that has still survived, and he will judge the Jews like uh, virgins looking for the coming of the bridegroom and his bride. Were they ready? Had they borne the mark of the beast? They had not. They're ready. They'll say, come into my kingdom, and you're going to be the new Israel, and we're going to begin the kingdom again. You that have taken the mark, go into the fire appointed for the devil and his angels. Then he'll gather the Gentiles. And he's going to say, now, how am I going to know that you Gentiles believed in Messiah? You guys, y'all come into my kingdom because I was hungry and you fed me. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was in prison, you visited me. And I was naked and you clothed me. Lord, when did we see you naked and in prison and hungry and thirsty? And Jesus said, whatever you did to the least of my brethren, you did to me. Question, who are the brethren that these Gentiles were kind to during the tribulation. This is redeemed Israel. Redeemed Israel. Have you ever been, Ty, you ever been to Yad Vashem? I have. You remember the grove of the righteous Gentiles? You remember that the Jews honored, there's a tree and underneath it says Oscar Schindler because he was kind to the Jew and the Jews said, I'll never forget him. Do you remember... Uh, Oh, they brought to Solomon almond trees, and they were gifts, and he built them into the temple. We'll never forget what you Gentiles did. Thank you. Hiram helped him build the temple. We'll give you the circuit of cities of Galilee. We'll never forget what you did. Uh, if you'll remember, there was a tree there at Yad Vashem. That's the Holocaust Museum. There was a tree they had to put a little fence around because everybody that came wanted to pluck a twig or a leaf off of it. It was uh, help me out. Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom's tree. Yes. Was loved so deeply. That's going to happen again. So God says, "You did that. You have believed. Uh, your your faith was working with your works. That by the result of your works, your faith is vindicated. You guys are the real deal. Like the Pelethites and the Carathites that came after David." from the Philistines, and David made them part of his kingdom because they believed they would suffer with David. And so they come in, and then he says, you guys go into the eternal fire because I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me drink. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in prison, and you didn't care. Lord, when did we see you like that? Whatever you did not do, to the least of my brethren, you did not do to me how you treated the Jew. And then we go into the kingdom, and I guarantee you there's going to be a thousand years. And the Bible just gives us a little tidbit. you got to wait until the end to see it. And so where we are right now, Ty, we're between the 69th and the 70th week. Israel has returned. We're waiting now for globalism to get such. Israel is surrounded by 800 times more Palestinians or Arabs than there are Jews. I've been told that there's 800 times more than there are Jews. And what they are saying is, you Jews have too much land. We want it. Someday, somebody is going to let them trust him. And he's going to give them land, but going to turn. He's going to turn on them until Jesus Christ returns. So we're in the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. What you need to look for as signs of the coming is philosophical 
extinction where there's no more human systems that you can trust in. The last one will be uh, cultural Marxism, wokeness, to where we restructure society just like the communists and assign guilt to who we want to. And so you're seeing uh, an extinction of all philosophic ideas, all, all political possibilities have been tried, except Jesus Christ or Antichrist. Those are the only two. One man or one God man. That's all that we're lacking. We've run out of philosophy. We have run out of religions. Uh, economically, uh, we've tried every system. None of them will work. We've tried everything, Ty, but God. And when we have tried him, it's been an abortion called the Middle Ages of Caesaropapism, where we made the Roman Pope God infallible, and it screwed it up. And so we're waiting for the complete expenditure of man to where he will look either to Christ or to Satan to bring it about. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the word and I'm going to be like Daniel. I ain't going to move an inch. You know, one of David's mighty men's fought to the death. His hand clung to the sword because he stood on a patch of ground that belonged to his nation that had lentils on it. And he would die for them beans. And that's why I'm going to be for the Bible, Christ, salvation by faith, Ty Perry, and all the good guys. I'm going to stand until the last day, loyal to and thankful to Israel for giving me that babe in Bethlehem. Amen. Can you dig it, Ty? I can dig it. I, I can, can dig, dig it. Dig it too. Well, Pastor, uh, you know, I'm 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 sitting here probably a lot like you were uh, in that seminary classroom, just saying, surely this is the word of God. Yes. What an amazing thing. If this is not the word of God, we need to find who wrote it and worship him. He's the smartest guy that ever lived. That's right. Well, Pastor, it's been a real honor for me to, to talk with you today. I want to thank you for joining me, and uh, thank you for expounding this remarkable passage. Thank you. God bless you, and may your tribe increase, Ty Perry. You've been listening to the Gesher Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Perry. For more information about me, visit ty-perry.com. For further information about the Friends of Israel, visit foi.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to ensure that you receive future episodes automatically. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.